thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. And now, here's Pastor John Hill. Let's dive in. So, good morning. All right, my name is John. I'm excited to continue in our series uh, that we're calling Still Standing. If you remember, uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, if you haven't, I do want to encourage you to go back online and listen to the previous messages. And by the way, uh, welcome and, and good morning to all those who are watching online as well. I uh, appreciate you guys also joining us digitally. Appreciate those of you in the room. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to listen, just a recap, uh, week one, we started off our series talking about uh, what it meant to stay standing in the midst of persecution when your faith is challenged, when it's put in the fire, literally three guys thrown into the fire, uh, but somehow they were joined there uh, by God, by really Jesus, a pre-incarnate version of Jesus, uh, and they were able to stand. Uh, we talked last week about uh, Job and how or what it looks like to suffer uh, for your faith. And, and even in, a, in the real sense, the very real sense for Job, a test from God uh, for his, of his faith, uh, and sometimes our suffering comes from a broken world and all of that, uh, but, but it's really a unique kind of suffering when it's for uh, the belief that you have in Jesus. And so we talked about what it means to suffer well. Today, I want to kind of look at a new angle, and that is, what do we do when we feel like giving up? I don't know if you're like me, but there have been times in my life where I felt like giving up on my faith. Especially Now, all of us have quit something in life, right? A team, a job. Some of you may have quit a relationship. Uh, some of you want to quit a relationship with somebody you're sitting right next to right now. Um, they don't know it yet. This is like the last ditch. Uh, but whatever that might be, it's even a, another level when we talk about uh, maybe possibly letting go of our faith. When we talk about what it means to, to walk away uh, because of, uh, of some circumstances that are happening in our lives that may cause us to want to let go of our faith. Um, there are really three reasons that people want um, to leave their faith that I think that there's, there's probably more. This is not exhaustive, but, but I think there's three reasons that people may want to give up on their faith or on Jesus. Uh, one of them is disappointment. Uh, I know that oftentimes we can find ourselves disappointed. It might be that we're disappointed in ourselves. Maybe there's a decision we've made, an action that we took, something that happened, and now we are disappointed. We're actually going to look at that today. But sometimes that might even lead or maybe something around that leads even to disappointment with God. What do you do when you're disappointed in God? And that's actually what we're going to look at uh, this morning. But I also think that disillusionment is another one. Sometimes we just feel disillusioned. A leader let us down. A parent lets us down. Somebody who claims to be a person of faith doesn't really do something that is what we're expecting. Or maybe they do something where they fail and now we're disillusioned. We might also be disillusioned because we pray prayers and they don't get answered. Or we, we do an activity that we think should bring some type of blessing and and it doesn't. And so we find ourselves disillusioned again, possibly with ourselves, possibly with uh, a church, possibly with God. 
And then finally, I think we have to be real and there are times when we're just distracted. We're distracted, again, by a relationship. We're distracted by an activity that we continue to do, a choice that we've made, a, a desire that we're chasing after. There's something that causes us to be distracted. Uh, and may, we may even find ourselves in a situation where um, we're embracing some type of a sinful habit or something that separates us in that sense. And so we want to sort of give up. And what I want to do is I want to talk today about uh, a Peter. I want to talk about one of the 12 that's, that followed Jesus, that walked with Jesus. If you're new to church, Jesus was on the earth and he started a public ministry. And for three years, he walked and he taught and he healed and he did things. And he had these 12 guys that he had chosen that walked with him. There were some others that were really close followers, but these 12 were kind of the guys. And out of the 12, there were three that were super close. And then out of that three, uh, there's some debate, but I think Peter was one of the ones who were, was the closest to Jesus. If, if nothing else, for Peter, Jesus became his best friend. He became the one that he was closest to for three years. And so for Peter to decide or to, or to make a choice or come close to walking away from that, that's worth, I think, for us to look at. And so I want to just set the context and understand that where this takes place is after the resurrection of Jesus. Again, if you're new, Jesus came at the end of the three years. He was arrested. He was tried. He was put on a cross. He died. They thought that'd be the end of it. His enemies did. But he decided to come back. He's the only guy in history that's ever been able to, you know, uh, proclaim his death and his burial and his resurrection and then pull it off, you know. So I think he's worth listening to just for that. But then secondly, I think that in this context, Peter found himself isolated from Jesus, partially because during the trial, he had denied knowing Christ three times. Here, his best friend, person he was closest to, literally lived and did life with for three years. And when he was challenged about knowing him at a point in time where on a human level, we might have thought Jesus needed him more than any other time, and he denied him to the point where he would actually curse by the third challenge, because he did this not once, not twice, but three times, he would curse to prove to people that he was not a friend of Jesus or with Jesus or even knew Jesus. Now, what's interesting as we pick up the story in John chapter 21, it says after this, now in John's gospel, there's some things that are happening between the resurrection and this story, that Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias, if you're familiar with Scripture, is the same as the Sea of Galilee. We're going to find out later. It's even got another name. In fact, I looked it up. There's like six names for the Sea of Galilee. But the point is, is that he revealed himself in this way, and John's going to tell us how he revealed himself. The situation is that Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin or twin, and he was the one who said, hey, uh, he's like from Missouri, like, show me the wounds, show me everything. You guys don't know your states? Okay, that's cool. Missouri's like the show me state. That's, I pulled that one out from fifth grade. But the point is, is that, is that Thomas is the one who got to see the wounds and, and wouldn't believe until he saw it for himself. Nathaniel from Cain of Galilee, Zebedee's sons, who are James and John, and two others who, for whatever reason, John didn't want to name. Uh, and, and these were the disciples who were all together. Simon, in the midst of this, makes a comment. I'm going fishing. Now, right off the bat, when we see that, it's like, okay, big deal. You're going fishing. Maybe it's like a long weekend, whatever else. In fact, some of you might even know that Peter was somebody who owned a fishing business before Jesus called him. And so for him to say that he's going fishing is probably not necessarily an alarming thing until we realize um, 
that back in verse one, it says Jesus revealed himself again. This isn't the first time he revealed himself to these guys. This is again. John would even tell us in verse 14 that this was indeed the third time that he appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. What's important about this and why we can then understand a little more about what's going on in Peter's mind and life is that it's the third time that that Jesus appears, the first time was to Mary and then to the 10, that's after, right after he resurrected, he, he appeared to Mary, and then, and then the 10, the 10 meaning the 12 minus Judas who had betrayed Jesus and hung himself, and then Thomas who wasn't there. And so he, that was number one. Number two was he appeared to the rest of the disciples with Thomas, and he basically showed him the wounds and went through that whole thing, and now for whatever reason, instead of show me Thomas, we call him doubting Thomas. I don't know why, but the point is, is that that's number two. So this is number three. Now what's crucial is in time one and time two, there is no conversation recorded between Jesus and Peter. So what that means is that from the time of the Last Supper and then the denial by Peter, the Last Supper being the point where Peter said, I'll die with you, Jesus. I'll go wherever you want to go. I'm your man. I'm in it to win it. I'm not going to quit. I'm here. And then he goes in the courtyard, not that much time longer later, the same evening, and, and, and he denies Jesus Three times. Now silence. I don't know if you've ever been there in your life where you did something, where you made a decision, where something that you regretted, and I'm talking mostly right now people of faith, people who have said, I'm going to follow Jesus, and then somewhere along the way. But maybe even if you're not a person of faith, or even if you are, maybe you've had that in a human relationship where you've done something, and then you know. And, and you know, nowadays with our phones and everything else, this could get carried away because, you know, you text, and then you're like, hey, I'm sorry, and you don't get a response. You've been there, right? And you see the three dots all dancing around. If you have an iPhone, some of you are in prehistoric times, you have something else. But the point is, is that the dots are dancing around, right? Now the iPhone, by the way, did you see this? You can send a text and you can erase it. You can pull it back. I don't know how that works. I think they keep it and then they, you know, blackmail you later. But the point is, <laughs> is that when there's silence and you don't hear anything, your mind starts to race. And you start feeling, oh, well, I guess we're done. I guess that's it. Especially if you're single, right? It's somebody you're on a date and you're maybe, okay, I want to go out again. And, but they don't, they're not responding. And really, they might just be at work. <laughs> they might be asleep. And they're not somebody who puts their phone right next to their ear. You know, it's, but you're freaking out. And sometimes, just sometimes, it even ends a relationship, that kind of silence. And so what Peter is dealing with here is he's not just dealing with the fact that we're reading a story from John, but he's dealing with the reality that he hasn't heard from Jesus. So when he says, I'm going fishing, what he's really saying is, it's done. Jesus and I are done. We had our run, it was a good run, and now it's done. I denied him, he's not gonna let me off the hook. We're done. So I have failed and let him down. So I, all I can do is go back to what I know, which is my old way of life. And many of you have been there too, where maybe you've decided to take a break from your faith or maybe leave your faith or whatever else, and you try to go back to an old way of life. And friends, most of you know this. If you've done this or you've seen it, you can probably just imagine it, especially the longer that you follow Jesus. Once you start to follow Jesus and you go back, the world don't want you anymore. You can't get back to where you were before because you can't erase what you know and what you've experienced and what you've been a part of when you try to quit or give up on your faith. What's interesting is that Peter was such an influencer and such a leader that the other six guys still said, well, we're coming with you. So even in Peter's struggle and his, as he wants to go back to his old fishing life, the others come along with him. 
So it's interesting that when we're in that place, how many people we might influence or even take with us. So they went out and they got into the boat. And like I said, that night they caught how much? Nothing. The universal sign for nothing is like zero, right? So the thing is, is they're fishermen. They go out and nothing because the old way of life, and this is, you got to plant this seed because this is where we're going. His old way of life needed to remain his old way of life. And there was nothing that was going to happen that was going to be fulfilling or worth anything once he left his faith. Now, what I love about this narrative is that typically when you go fishing, just to go back, as they go out, they usually go out at night in the first century Middle East. They, they would go out at night and fish at night. It was easier to fish at night. Even nowadays, I know some, some of you are really into fishing. You try to go when it's sort of early, 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 because that's kind of how, you know, that's when they're biting. That's when you get the fish. Um, and so the point is, is, is that they're out at night. This whole narrative sort of has this nighttime darkness kind of feel. When G Peter denied Jesus, it was at night. When he was tried, all through the night. And then he was re uh, crucified, and it took all the way till the dark before he died. And then he was in the tomb. And then, you know, th there's just a night sort of darkness kind of feel, and they catch nothing. But when daybreak came, John tells us, the sun starts, it starts to break. I could even see this in the terms of the narrative. There's light coming and Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. How many of you are happy and overjoyed to know that even when we try to run, Jesus still hangs out on the shore looking for us? Now, we don't always know he's there. We don't always recognize it, but he's on the shore. It's reminiscent of the story of the prodigal son who takes the family inheritance, at least his portion of it, and goes and squanders it. And, and Luke, who writes about this in Luke 15, tells us that the father would stand and wait for him each day. He would, he would look for him. And, and, and the father representing God. And so it's not that God's desperate. It's not that God needs that. It's not that he doesn't know. But it's, he's showing himself to be the one who's inviting, the one who's calling, the one who's reaching. In verse 5, Jesus calls out and says, friends, uh, you don't have any fish, do you? Now, John's nice, and he just writes, no, they answered. But the only thing worse than going out all night as a fisherman, a professional fisherman, and catching nothing, is having some dummy sit on the shore and try to ask you if you caught anything. Do you understand? You guys ever been there? Like, ah, looks like you're not making much money these days, are you? You know, it's like, stop, you know? Next thing you know, you're going to be in prison. Yes, because I'm going to wring your neck. You know, I mean, it's... So he's, you know, I don't, think, I don't think Jesus is like purposely toying with them, but I do think that Jesus has a sense of humor. Anyway, so he says, and this, this he just kind of doubles down. So why don't you cast the net on the right side of the boat? You know, all of us here have been fishing all these years. We never thought to try the right side. Man. You know, I mean, I'm sure I would be going livid. And John doesn't really describe this, but I know I would be like, who is this guy? You know, like. What is he talking about, right? But, but then, look, it says that he tells them, uh, and you will find some fish, right? So here's the funny thing. Somewhere in his voice, somewhere in what he said, they did it. Maybe it was just like, whatever, just throw it out. It's fine. And it says they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. In fact, we're going to read later. It's 153. It's a huge number. The disciple, the one who Jesus loved, <laughs> which is John, by the way, if you write your own gospel, you get to call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. So, so I mean, why not? Why just be John? That's what I'm going to do now because my name's John. I'm just going to tell everybody I'm the one who Jesus loves. You know? But anyway, he says to Peter, it is the Lord. 
Because something in John triggers, and we're going to see later maybe what it might have been. Hey, um, we only need one guy who could do that kind of thing. So I think it's the Lord, right? Peter, being Peter, because, you know, he's the guy that raced John to the tomb. He's the guy who jumped out and told Jesus when he was walking on the water, hey, if, if that's really you, make me come out. And so he's walking on the water. You know, he's the one who, during the foot wash, don't just wash my foot, wash my whole body. You know, he, that's Peter. So he, when he heard it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged it into the sea, and he starts swimming. And he's gone, right? Because something in Peter said, this might be the moment. I'm gonna, I can't even wait for the boats. I'm just jumping in because Jesus is on my shore. I need to get to him. Now, since they were not far from land, about 100 yards, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging it, like partially to drag the fish, clearly, partially because I'm not jumping in that water. I mean, we'll be there. It's 100 yards. It's fine. It's a football field. Big deal, right? So when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire there. Hmm. And there was fish already on it. So they're bringing all this fish and they had caught nothing all night. Jesus somehow already had some fish. And he was smoking it, which I think is awesome. And then... He also had some bread. Verse 10, bring some of the fish we, that you just caught. And then Jesus, told, or Jesus says, and bring some of the fish you caught. And then Simon Peter climbs up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, not just any fish, you know, guppies, large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Now, I love this invitation from Jesus. He's always inviting. He tells them, bring what you've caught. Let's bring what you have. We'll combine with what I have and we'll make something happen. And what I love too is that Jesus already has the fire. He's already got, and now he's got fish and bread, which you're already thinking of that, right? Because, you know, he fed thousands of people. It's like the miracle of the filet of fish, right? It's, it's like just, I got fish, I got bread, let's go. And that's where we start. Now, what I want you to see is go back to Luke chapter 5 because this is going to be important to the rest of our story. And I think it's partially why John might have said, I think this is the Lord, when he saw how much fish. See if this sounds a little bit familiar. As the crowd in Luke 5, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, by the way, context-wise. It's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The story reading in John 21 is at the end. It's after the resurrection. This is at the beginning of Jesus going public with his ministry. It says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. So that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. What we know is that Peter uh, and his brother Andrew and the James and John, they had a fishing business. And we're going to see from this text, they were partners. And they, they had their business at the Sea of Galilee. And so he saw Jesus sees two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. So again, this is daybreak. The, they've been out all night. Now they're cleaning their nets. They're getting ready to store everything away so they can go back the next night. And it says he got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. So he gets into Simon Peter's, this is Peter's name before Jesus got a hold of him. And he, and, and he asked him to put out a little from the land. And then he sat down and he was, uh, and he was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this sounds familiar, right? Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. So even at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus tells Peter, look, man, why don't you just try deeper water? I know you've been trying all this, but let's go out into the deeper water. Master, Simon replied, and I love this response, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. Look, I know you're a rabbi. I know you teach stuff. I know we love listening to you. We're considering following you. We're considering giving you our lives. 
you don't know fishing, Jesus. <laughs> We've caught nothing. But this is what I love. Try to memorize this for your life. It's going to solve a lot of your issues. If you say so. Look at me, listen. <laughs> when Jesus says something, how many times have we not agreed? Have we thought to ourselves, I don't know if that's going to work. Everybody else in the world, it doesn't feel like it works for them. And how many times in our lives have we come to the conviction that says, but if it's something Jesus said, I'm going to do it no matter how much sense it doesn't make. You and I can completely change our lives if we would become familiar with what Jesus said and then be willing to say, if you say so, if you say so, Jesus, I'll let down the nets. And look what he did. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. Now remember, this is at the beginning. This is what's motivating Peter to sign up with Jesus from the beginning. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. In the face of Jesus and that miracle and understanding for the first time maybe, because Jesus had been around them already before this, but this was the moment where Jesus is going to call them. And he says, I'm a sinful man. I can't stand in your presence, Lord. Please go away from me. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. So they're the ones helping. And they were also blown away. Look at Jesus' response. Don't be afraid. How many of us are afraid at times to follow Jesus to a place that we know he's going to take us that extends beyond what our own abilities are, extends beyond what our own confidence is, extends beyond what we can do on our own, where if he doesn't come through, it's going to be a problem. And Jesus says over and over and over again to his followers, including you and I, don't be afraid. And then he goes on and says, from now on, you will be catching people. This is so critical to our story in John 21 because this is the, the foundation of Jesus' relationship with Peter. Is I'm going to, listen, another gospel in Mark says, I'm going to make you become a fisher of people. When Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, it's just that, a relationship. And here's the thing that hope, hopefully can free us all. He doesn't invite us into a relationship that is based on performance, he doesn't invite us into a relationship that is based on our own, what we do or not do. Now, sometimes in churches, we've reduced it down throughout history. And in, in, in certain religions and in certain uh, systems, we've sort of reduced it down to this spiritual checklist that we go, okay, did, didn't do, did, didn't do, I'm good. And then we even have these things where like, here's what you do when you didn't do, or here's what you do when you did what you weren't supposed to do. And so this is how you make it right. You put money in the pot, you, you do you know, several prayers, or you do this or that. And what happens is we lose sight of what Jesus called us to. Jesus knows we're not perfect. He knows that we're not going to ever get it all right. He still calls us anyway because he wants us to understand that it is about him. It is about a relationship with him. And when he called Peter, he said, I'm going to make you become. You have a God-given capacity that is within you that you cannot reach on your own. And it far exceeds anything you could be in this world on your own. You could have an Ivy League education. You could have a top-notch job. You could have an income that's in the upper 1%. You can do all the things that this world says you're supposed to do. And you still will not reach a capacity that will ultimately fulfill you. 
And God says, I've got something so much greater for you, but you need me to make it happen because I'm the one who made you in this image and I'm the one who can get you there. And when he told Peter from, the, from now on, I'm gonna make you become something that is better than just fishing for fish. You're going to become something of someone, I should say, that, who is going to impact others. You're gonna fish for people. You know what the prerequisite is to get there? It's to follow him. It's to follow him. And so when it says they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him, that's the prerequisite. And what I mean by to follow him, what the Bible means of what you read about in the next three years is that it means not to check a list of do's and don'ts. It means to do life with Jesus. Interact. Get to know him. Hear his word. Begin to apply his word. That's what it's about. We turn it sometimes into a, an academic kind of a reality here in America. In their day here, we're going to talk about this later, but I'm going to, just, I'm going to bury the lead now. Here's the thing. The guys who were most concerned with what they were going to do were the guys who had the most trouble with Jesus. You ever thought about that? They were the religious elite. And, and they were so concerned about how they looked. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombstones. You look great on the outside, but inside, none but dead. Is that what we want? Of course not. So here's the problem for Peter. When Peter did what he did, he thought he was disqualified because of what he had done. And Jesus is here on the shore and back in John 21 after all this saying, this is not what I called you to. And I love that there's this parallel. It's the same place. It's the same basically miracle, too much fish coming in. It's all the same stuff. And Jesus, I, it's had to remind Peter, I know it had to remind John, of what went down when he first called them. So he does something that I think God's always doing. He invites them. And in Middle Eastern culture, especially in the first century, but even now, community, relationship, acceptance is around a meal. So he says, come and have breakfast. Because you don't say that to people who aren't your friends. You don't say that to people who are, everything's broken and cut off. Now, we might do that here in America in our century, but in that century, in that time, and even still in that culture, you don't eat with people who aren't your friend. And you build community and relationship and all of that around a meal. And so Jesus told them, or Jesus told them that, and so then none of the disciples obviously knew who he, or, or wanted to ask him, who are you, because they knew it was the Lord. Because of the call, because of the miracle, because of everything else, they already knew. They didn't have to ask. But that also means it's a whole different story we won't deal with. It. In his resurrected state, somehow there was something maybe he didn't look like he was supposed to look like, whatever. So verse 13, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. So now they have filet of fish breakfast, all right? So they have bread, they have fish, it's all there, and they eat. Now you think, great, end of story, right? Here's the thing. <laughs> I love that Jesus always invites us, even if we're in the midst of sin, even if we're in the midst of wanting to leave, the doubts, the questions, all of the other things. But he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us there. So for Peter, there really was a breach. He did deny. He did do what he did. There was still something, you know, I don't think it was on Jesus' side, but there were still doubts and questions and other stuff going on in Peter's mind. So Jesus, when they had eaten breakfast, asked Simon Peter. Now what I love is, Simon, son of John, you ever been in trouble and your parents use your whole name? That's what Jesus is doing. 
If you ever hear your whole name, right, you're like, oh, man, I really did it. I had a friend when I was in high school. He was, a, he was an Asian guy, a Chinese. His parents were Taiwanese. They gave him six names. I remember one time hanging out at his house, and his mom started calling out his six names. She didn't do it all at once like some families, you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever. Jonathan Stewart, you know, it wasn't like that. She, like, paused in between each one. It was like a countdown. James, you know, you're James, James, they had a big house, you know, and you're like, wow, your mom's calling you. Yeah, I know. It's Christopher. And he's like, you know, then it's like Titus. And then he had some Chinese name, a couple others. And by the third name, I was out the door. I'm not going to join him. You're going down on your own, man. I'm not, there's no band of brothers when it comes to you being in trouble. So he calls him. I had to set Peter off. Maybe I'm in trouble. Maybe some of the other disciples, you ever done that? Ooh, you know, do you love me more than these? And there's been lots written about what more than these means, but I, I, you know, some, maybe it's the fishing business, maybe it's the other disciples, maybe it's things, I don't know. I don't think it matters. I think it's all of it. Because here's what Jesus is challenging Peter on. Things that he had said to Jesus throughout their ministry. I love you. I'm there with you. I will die with you, Jesus. I will do whatever. So Peter's like, or, I'm sorry, Jesus is like, do, do you really love me more than, I mean, are you, were you telling me the truth and all that stuff? Now, I believe Peter was completely genuine during those times. But Peter's wrestling with the fact that he did something that doesn't back that up. So Jesus says, or Peter should say, says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. You say, okay, that's great. Thanks, Jesus, I get it. But then a second time he asked them, and he still used Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, Jesus says. Then there's a theme that Jesus is building. Now, I know you've heard before, many of you have been around church. There's a third time coming. And you say, oh, it's like the denial, three times, three times. Yeah, that's probably part of it. It certainly probably plays a role. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? I'm sure there was some of that from that. But I also think, he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. In other words, I, don't, you know, I know what you're doing and I get, and you know, Lord, you know my heart. Feed my sheep, Jesus says. I do know your heart. I called you to feed my sheep. I called you to be a fisher of people. I called you to come and follow me no matter what. And you're not following me no matter what is what he's telling Peter. And for some of us, that's what's going on. In 2015, I thought I was the cat's meow. Or is it the cat's pajamas? I don't care. I thought I was it. And I left this church and I went to another place because I thought I'm going to show everybody. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to show everybody. I'm overlooked. I don't get rah, 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 rah. I fell right on my face. And Jesus picked me up with this same type of conversation. Do you love me, John? Then do what I asked you to do. And what he had asked me to do way back was preach his word. Follow him and preach his word. That's what he asked. He didn't ask me to change the world. He didn't ask me to be the best of this or that. He didn't ask me to go to the top or lead a da, da, da. What he said is, Go and tell people about me as you follow me. Now, are you going to follow me no matter what, or are you going to only follow me if you have a title, a salary, or this, or that, and people recognize you, blah, blah, blah? And he broke me. And I had to hear that message. Some of us need to hear that message today. You are basing your faith on the wrong things. You want ultimatums from God, and they're not going to happen, and you think that somehow you're making that kind of ultimatum for God, and what God is saying is, do you want to follow me or not? 
He goes on to emphasize it by saying, truly, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And that, John tells us, was to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. He was arrested. He was crucified. He didn't want to be crucified. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus. They crucified him upside down. And it was about 25, 20 to 30 years later. But after saying this, Jesus said what? What are those two words? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Here's the point that Jesus is making that I want us to go home with, okay? The point that Jesus is making that I want us to go home with is there's always going to be times in all of our lives where we fail, where we're disappointed, where we're disillusioned, where we're distracted. There's going to be points in our lives when we don't hit the mark. There's going to be points in our lives where we feel like that God owed more than what we gave him. There's going to be points in our lives where we might be disappointed with God. There might be things when we're disillusioned with God. There might be things when we're disillusioned with a family member or a leader or something else. And the reality is those are not times when it's okay to quit on God. And you know why? Because Jesus hasn't quit on you. So if Jesus hasn't quit on us, then we should not quit on him. Does that make sense? He hasn't quit on you. So what we have to do is we have to understand and recognize (laughs) that there's there's always going to come a challenge in all of our lives where we have to put this to the test and it will not be easy. And you know, we all do when it's not easy. We do what Peter did. When Peter was challenged with this, he saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. And he said, what about him? You ever do that? Well, I know you're telling me to do this, Jesus, but what about that guy? And what about that girl? And what about this church? And what about that? Uh, What's going on with them? And I love Jesus' grace and his, and his love and his mercy and, and this tender heartedness to all of us. But I also love when he tells them like this, if I want him to remain until I come, you hear like the parent in Jesus' voice there? If I want him to live until I come back, and you don't even know when I'm coming back, it's got to be thousands of years. If I want John to be thousands of years old, what is that to you? Because (laughs) as for you, follow me. That's our choice. Here's the thing we have to do if we're going to stay standing when we're tempted to give away our faith and to give up. We have to align ourselves. You ever had an alignment on your car? You know, you start to drive and you think you're holding the wheel, you know, you can hold the wheel or let go and it's kind of veers and there's things in our lives that we have to align. And I think they get out of alignment and they mess us up. Here's the first one. Facts over feelings. Sometimes we let feelings start to drive our life. The kids talk about, I'm all in my feelings. You ever heard kids say that now? I don't know what age they start to say. To me, kids are like 40 and under. But, you know, I'm in my feelings. I just, I got to know what's going on. Listen, get out of your feelings. I'm not saying feelings aren't great, you know, at times. I'm not saying they don't have a role, but they should not overcome facts. It's important for us to know what God said. Here's from Peter, the guy who went through this. He writes this in a letter later to the church. God or or Jesus' divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. We have everything we'll ever need from, from Jesus. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, okay? The knowledge of him has to do with the relationship with him. We're building up our knowledge of him, not just our head knowledge, but our life knowledge because we're doing life with him. And then he shows us his glory and his goodness. By these, his glory and goodness, by our knowledge of him, 
He has given us very great and precious promises. Those are facts. We have to know them. We have to put them over our feelings. There's times when our feelings will disagree with the facts and what we have to do is we have to revisit those promises. We have to trust Jesus with them. We have to know, even though I don't feel it in my feelings, I know it in my head, so therefore I'm gonna show it in my feet and I'm not gonna give up. So that through them, this is the goal of those promises, you may share in the divine nature. Jesus literally wants us to take that image of God that's within us and reach its capacity in this lifetime. There will not be a life that is more fulfilling than that. We're going to escape the corruption that is in this world because of evil desire. Evil desire is generally rooted in feelings, desires. We overcome them by the facts, by the promises. For this very reason, make every effort, and, and Peter's going to say something else. I'll show you in a sec, but I just write in stand. How do we stand? We supplement our faith with things like goodness and knowledge, endurance, self-control, godliness, brotherly affection, love. Are we working on those things? Because we have to put our facts over our feelings. Here's the second thing, who overdo? Here's what I mean. Who you are is more important than what you do. But before you amen too loud, what you do determines and dictates who you are. Because your habits and who you are and what you do with your habits are what will develop the quality of your identity. But your identity is what Jesus is mostly concerned with. He already knows you can't do it all. He already wants to empower you to do more that you can't do. And when you block him out, then you're left with only what you can do, and that's not enough. So what's really important is who I am. So that it's not about, uh, you know, if you want to use health, I'm going to go, I want to run 100 miles. Maybe it's more important to say, I want to learn to be a runner. Or I want to learn to be a person who's healthy. Uh, I'm going to memorize the whole, book of the, <laughs> the whole book of Romans. Maybe it's just better to say, I really want to know all I can. I want to be a person who knows God and knows his word. See, and then you build habits that back that up. You build habits that begin to help you. Think about the habits in your life. The habits in your life, the things that you do when no one's watching, when it just happens, it's just going. Who are they making you to be? I had to come to grips recently with the fact that my habits make me an unhealthy person. And if I'm going to be healthy, then i got to decide to do some better habits, mostly with food. I had a very unhealthy relationship with food. Have, I'm, I'm, I'm an addict, not to food, but to sugar. I, I, should, I mean, listen, uh, anyway, it don't matter. I, I just, sugar's heavy. Yeah, it's a heavy drug. But anyway, the point is, <laughs> if I'm going to change it, i got to start doing small habits. For the last three or four weeks, I've in, you know, invoked some small habits. That's, by the way, the other thing. It's not huge habits, not huge things. I'm going to change the world. No, no. Just pick. Listen, this is your exercise this week. Take one habit, one small habit, and start applying it this week in some area of your life. If it's I want to I be someone who, who knows God better, then maybe you say, I'm going to spend 15 minutes a, a day in, in God's word. And, 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 or maybe it's just three days this week. <laughs> Something small, and as you accumulate these small habits, they start to create a better identity. For, for, for all of us, we have to get our facts. And, and Peter was wrapped up in what he did, and Jesus is saying, I want you to understand who you are. And then lastly, we over me. Now, we over me means we all need help. First week, you heard about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and there was Daniel who was gone because I think the king didn't want to lose him. So he's like, you go away, but your friends we can get rid of. But they supported each other. Job had friends. They came and supported him. They didn't always say the best things, but he had friends. Who do you have? 
Even the disciples followed Peter, even when they knew he was going back somewhere he probably shouldn't have been going. Who do you have? In your family, do you have a small group? We just talked about Rooted. Maybe Rooted is not the thing this round for you. There's connect groups. So join a connect group. Get to know people. And not just for the study, but get to know them. Get to, into that group because you want to meet some more people and build some support. Because you cannot do it by yourself. Peter tried to do it on his own. You can't do it. So here's the thing. For some of you, you've been dealing with <clears throat> maybe being tempted to give up your faith. Maybe some of you are here today and you have given up your faith. And again, this is like the last ditch. I mean, we're going to try this and we'll see. God is calling to each of us to not give up because he hasn't given up on us. But for some of you, you don't even know God yet. You don't even have a relationship with Jesus. There's nothing to walk away from because you haven't given your life to Jesus yet. And your call, your invitation is the same that Jesus gave to Peter on the front end in Luke. Follow me. Come and see and follow me. And maybe today's that day that you make that decision to start to follow Jesus. You don't have to know everything to start to follow him. You don't have to have it all together. You certainly don't have to get your life right before you start following him. It's much better to start following him, help, have him help you get your life right, whatever that looks like. And what's most important is whether or not you're willing to invest your life in something that you may not see, you may not even at this point believe that there's a lot of evidence in that God will make you into something you cannot be on your own. And it will not look like anything that this world has to offer. It will be better. So I want to give you an invitation to give your life to Christ this morning. At sunrise, we talk about the ABCs. The first is admitting that you have a need. It's admitting, listen, mistakes can be corrected, but what we're all guilty of is sin. The thing about sins is they can only be forgiven. And they can only be forgiven by the person who's offended by them. And in this case, that's Jesus, who is the creator of the universe. He's the one who we offend when we sin. And he was willing to come to this earth and die on a cross for us, not having deserved to do it, but on our behalf. So we have to first admit that we are those sinners that created that scenario. Then we have to believe that Jesus was sufficient on the cross to pay for our sins and that he's offering to us forgiveness of those sins and a chance to be in a relationship with him. And then C is committing our lives to him. So what I wanna do is I just wanna lead you through a quick prayer. It's not magical words. These are just, it's something if you're authentic in your heart, then you will have an opportunity today to begin that relationship with Jesus. And then we're gonna tell you a little bit about how to follow up. But I would love to invite each of you to bow your heads right now at this moment. And I would love to pray this prayer. And if you have not received Jesus Christ, or maybe you're somebody who wants to bring your life back to Jesus, that you could pray words similar to this. As we pray, you can make this commitment. But I want you to pray along with me and say, Dear Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross. Thank you for inviting me into a relationship with you. Thank you for paying for my sins. I want to repent. I want to turn away from life that is led by me and I want to receive a life that is led by you. I don't want my life to be about all the stuff I do. I want it to be about who you are making me to be. And, and Jesus, I wanna commit my life to you today. Would you forgive my sins? Would you give me a purpose? Would you help me to grow in my relationship with you? If you prayed that prayer this morning, everybody's head still bowed. If you just raise your hand, I just, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I just wanna be able to pray for you and with you. So if you've, if you've prayed that prayer this morning, would you raise your hand so that I could see? Okay, I see some hands toward the back, around the side here. Thank you very much. Thank you to each of you.
Listen, you can open your eyes, you can lift your head up. It, it, even if you didn't raise your hand, but certainly if you did, on your program, there's a slip of, of paper that tears off at the bottom. There's a box that says, I said yes to Jesus. If you're online, there's, a, there's some requests coming in. You can click a button or you can say, I said yes to Jesus. We want to follow up with you. We want to be a part of helping you uh, to, to flourish in this relationship with Jesus. Another thing you can do if you're tech savvy and you're into that, you could text the word next to this phone number that's on the screen. And someone from our team will be in touch. On all those cases, someone from our team will be in touch with you. We wanna be able to walk alongside you. We wanna guide you in this relationship. You could also, after service, stop by the Next Step table. They'll tell you all about that in a moment. But the point is, is that you need to go public with this thing. You need to start talking to people about this relationship that you just began. And I wanna congratulate for you because you are on the road now, on a path, the same as Peter, the same as everyone since Jesus has been here, to begin to follow after him. And we wanna help you along with that. For the rest of us, you may still be struggling with like, do I stick in? Do I just go halfway? Do I just mail it in? Or do I really begin to be an avid follower of Jesus no matter what? Let me just give you three reasons that might be inspiration for you real quick and then we'll, be, we'll move on about why you should persevere uh, even when it seems like God is silent or distant or he's disappointed you or whatever else. And that is this, God is still present. That's the first reason. Silence does not equal absence. You need to know Jesus is still present in your life because you still have a purpose. Doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you feel about it. Jesus still has a purpose for you. As a matter of fact, he will wrap that thing up that you're struggling with into your purpose. And I've watched people, their greatest moment of failure becomes their greatest moment of impact because Jesus uses it. Their greatest moment of failure, I mean, I'm sorry, fear and, and of, of some letdown becomes their greatest moment of impact because Jesus does that. And then finally, because people are still watching. Your family, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, they're still watching. And we still have a chance to be an, an example to them. So I just wanna encourage you, continue to stay in and stay standing for Jesus. You know why? Because he hasn't given up on you. He hasn't quit on you. He hasn't quit on any of us and he never will. And so I hope if you're in that place today, and maybe later you might want to come up for prayer or whatever else, that you would decide to get back up. It's not about falling down. It's about getting back up. We're going to take our offering in just a second, but let me pray for us, and then we'll continue in our worship. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy it is to serve you, Lord. Thank you for the power of forgiveness, the power of a relationship with Jesus. Thank you for his willingness to work with us, Father, no matter what, to be in our lives, even when we are at our worst. And then, Father, for your promise to put us at our best if we're willing to trust and follow you. Even as we give, may we make it an act of worship. As we sing, an act of worship. As we come forward, maybe for prayer and response, an act of worship. In our conversations this afternoon, may we build community with one another in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our small groups, so that we can follow you, Father, no matter what. Because... You don't quit on us, Lord, so we don't want to quit on you. Thank you, and Lord, we want to lift this time up to you in your great name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word NEXT to the number 909 281 7797. 
That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.